Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of The School for Dumb Women. In episode 60, we invited Gavin Day to the studio to tell us about how and when art got so damn expensive. Gavin happens to be the most handsome and accomplished man in all of London. He washes daily and reads newspapers in print, not online. He also happens to be the designer of the School for Dumb Women artwork. And he's my boyfriend. And a damn good one, too. Anyway, here's our full conversation, including a scandalous one-way relationship with Nigella Lawson. So, Hannah, you've gone slightly green and pale. You look very scared and weak and maybe malnourished. What's going on? Yeah, no, I've not been uh, eating lately, Alex, because um, a few weeks ago I spent my life savings on three centimetres of shredded Banksy. Um, and honestly, I still can't tell whether it's an investment or not, maybe because of my low blood sugar. It's OK, come on. Um, but luckily, I've invited Gavin Day here. <gasps> Hello, all. That name is familiar to me. Gavin Day. Somehow. Good evening. Is he a is famous he? artist? Resident art expert for this evening only, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm a graphic designer, that's OK. So <laughs> Gavin Day does the logos for School for Dumb Women, the excellent logo. And you're here to tell me how soon Sotheby's will be Venmoing me my money. Well, <clears throat> that's not going to happen, but that's not terribly a bad thing. <laughs> oh. Okay, so the thing about art is that you want to buy it, but keep it and then sell it in the future. So Venmoing you the money might not actually be the best thing. Can I ask what Venmo is? Venmo is the thing that Twitter does, right. where you make a good tweet and then people ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly correct. Venmo me. PayPal for hipsters. Yes. Uh, my yeah. friend said this. My friend lives in LA and he's a film producer. That sounds like a massive brag, but it's true. And he said he mentioned this the other day, and I just pretended like I knew what it was because he said that he went on a date where he's the most generous and rich person I've ever met, and he said that he, she made him spend so much money that she had to Venmo him some money the next day. Wow. Ooh. And I was like, oh. What is that? <laughs> well, luckily, this is a podcast about art exploration. So yeah. <laughs> Just quickly about Venmo, I uh, have seen people actually make like thousands of pounds off that, and that's the one thing that makes me think I should get into Twitter and also. Oh, maybe and art. you should go viral. I uh, one day, Hannah. Well, you send four tweets a year, and then you delete half of them <laughs> when you get embarrassed. So, and if you've fact... seen one of those tweets, listeners, very limited edition, <laughs> like the art we're about to discuss. Well, ah. actually, um, me and Caroline once had a conversation about how it's a turn on when our boyfriend, because uh, spoiler alert. Gavin is Caroline's boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Um, For the term <laughs> live-in lover. Live-in lover. <laughs> yeah. Um, how it's a turn-on that you don't use Twitter that much. Okay. It is a turn-on. But then again, you do berate me a lot for not profiting off things where I get mentioned. So ah. That's true. So this is a massive segue. But the other day, our friend Ella tweeted a picture that Gavin had taken of her. Oh, I saw yes, that. It was lovely. Nice picture. And then Nigella Lawson responded to the picture <gasps> saying, what a beautiful picture. And then... Ella tagged Gavin, being <gasps> like, he took this beautiful picture of me. And Gavin's Twitter bio read, Nigella Lawson has seen me sleeping. <laughs> oh, so Nigella is that Lawson, true? It, no, not in per- yeah, it's true, but not in person. I don't remember what it was. Basically, it was a picture of me asleep at a house party, which happens often. And Nigella had seen it and liked it. And then I thought, 
she's seen me asleep at my most vulnerable and she liked it. So that was, so that was your Twitter bio anyway. Nigella, all, all lowercase to let everyone know I was joking. Nigella Lawson has seen me sleeping and Nigella saw that but didn't comment. She saw the picture of you saying that you've seen her sleeping. Yes. Yes. You, Nigella, you're definitely going to shoot her next book cover. I can yeah. tell you that right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was my in. And then Ella texted me about it and I didn't realise that she meant Nigella had seen the actual bio and I just went, lol. And then I realised about eight hours later when I got home <laughs> and checked what's happened realised exactly what happened, that I'd massively fucked up <laughs> and I should have capitalised when I had my chance. Oh, well, so that's a pretty good summation of my Twitter like persona. Yeah, missing the boat and then realizing, oh, Nigella's pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I've misrepresented myself. There. So, Gavin, you're gonna tell us kind of why art is so damn expensive. Like, it doesn't make sense, really, that art's so expensive. No. So it's like, um, well, Picasso used to pay for dinners with sketches he did, which is like a really baller move, but also yeah. kind of a like horrible thing for a guy to do. Like, imagine like saying, no, we need your money because <laughs> you did a sketch on <laughs> yeah, a napkin like, of like, I've gotta pay my rent. I will do a portrait of you. That's Picasso. <laughs> also in a pre-eBay world as well. So yeah, it's not like... You yeah. can't do anything with that. Like, yeah, it's probably worth a lot, but the waiter doesn't know an art dealer. Yeah, and you've got to yeah. go to someone who goes to someone. It's not going to happen. You, you can't put that online. And how can you prove it? You know. yeah. So anyway, art never used to cost that much money. And it's a weird day today, actually, guys, because today, today is the 35th anniversary of an auction that changed why art now costs so much money. It was Ooh. called the Skull Auction. Not with a K, with a C, but it is Halloween, so the Skull Auction. Of and course. this was a guy called Robert Skull who owned... He sounds fit. Uh, he wasn't fit. Uh, uh, his wife was pretty hot. In fact, Warhol did a couple of paintings of her. And oh. Even the uh, director of the Metropolitan Museum Art was like... I want to get a painting of her. She's a pretty good-looking chick. <laughs> made no bones about it. Oh, it's New York. It's the 60s. Everyone's I mean, awful. Yeah, I'm yeah. enjoying the accents a lot. Yeah. So his his auction was the first time anyone had ever sold off their entire collection as like a mass hoard and treated it like right. essentially as a commodity. Okay. And this so guy, like he'd curated it. Uh, yeah. Like what Saatchi is now or was in the early 90s, he was like way, way before that. Right. I don't really know who Saatchi is. Like I know he's mega rich and mega famous and he was bad to Nigella Lawson. Your personal friend. Like, again, very, your personal very, friend. Very much on topic right but now. But is he just a, he's just an art guy? He owned an advertising. advertising agency, learned lots of money oh. and went around plucking people yeah. from obscurity, making them famous in, by curating them in shows and then they shot to fame. And he made <gasps> lots of money off that fame. So oh. actually it's analogous to Robert Skull because he did that but before Saatchi. That's a really, really short, condensed version of what happened. Because sort of like pioneered Damien Hurst and all those. Yeah, parts, yeah. yeah. So tell me what happened at this art auction. How were people responding to it? What went on? So it was the first time that the public had really got involved in an art auction and he made sure that happened. He was a seriously shrewd guy, advertised it loads. Um, even he would sell in his taxi business because he married into a taxi business in New York, which obviously is a good idea. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, would advertise the show in his taxis, and even and then he advertised his taxis at the art show. So this is this what? guy knew oh this guy God. got me. His synergy, wife, corporate synergy. His <laughs> wife showed up to the show wearing a jacket with skulls taxis on <gasps> the middle, like emblazoned in diamonds and stuff like that. It was crazy. It was like Trump before Trump. Like this guy got it. He loved publicity. Yeah, he just he sort of just loved himself a bit. There's a hilarious archive clip of him sitting in the front room of his house talking about how 
you know, art is acquisition is involvement. And I just do it to help a little guy. And it's not about me. And the slow, the camera, the cameraman must have known what he was doing. Uh, he slowly pans out. And over his fireplace is an enormous picture of his own face. <laughs> it's so big. It's like a Manhattan loft. Like, you know, these apartments had like, you could put two ladders on top of each other and not touch the ceiling. And it goes from floor to ceiling. It's like, <laughs> if you were in that room, it is the most imposing picture of someone that's like, amazing. oh, that's just me. That's what I do. Uh, yeah. So anyway, he puts on the show. The public love it. The prices of his art that he bought for really not very much is astronomical. There's a painting called Double White Map by Jasper Johns that ends up selling for it's a two and a half thousand percent markup from what he paid for it. And the artist didn't get any kickback and they hated him. They hated him so much. Um, So many people, the artists protested against the show. They ended up leaving um, New York because they were so pissed off. (gasps) Do artists normally get a little a little percentage of the 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 value? It had never been a problem up until that point. So they never bothered. Uh, So he changed all that. So they actually lobbied Washington after this, some American artists, and they nearly got it passed and then it got kicked back. So (gasps) since that show, no artist has ever made any money off the back of that. But it changed the politics of it after that show. So yeah. Robert Rauschenberg, who's quite famous, you might have heard of him. He's like a pop artist, came up with Warhol. He's kind of on par with them. He's like the critics version of Warhol. The public know who Warhol is, but Rauschenberg's like, you know, the okay. fuckboy of the critics. Everyone yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Um, he picketed the show and got a bunch of artists to picket the show with him. And they had like, literally outside the show marching, they had really rubbish chants. It was like, they buy with their millions, they buy with their millions. It was like... <laughs> The worst chance. They kind of overthought it. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, they're all artists. So yeah. They're not like the working man. They're just like, it's too intellectual, this chant. <laughs> yeah. Rauschenberg was pissed. He he had his painting sold for like a thousand. He sold his painting to this guy for like a thousand dollars. And Robert Skoll would always be like, three sales or nothing. Like that sort of, you know, he wouldn't buy your paintings unless you sold him three for a cut rate. And then he sold Rauschenberg paintings for like 40 grand, <gasps> 60 grand, oh, 80 grand. This Jasper Johns painting sold for two and a half, two hundred and fifty k, and he bought it for ten grand. Jasper Johns was like, "Oh my, you'd God. be pissed, wouldn't you? You'd yeah. be so pissed." Um, I feel like this guy is like the art equivalent of like the next sale. They just make it seem so much more than it actually is. <laughs> they just open at five a.m. So people think, "Wow, it must be amazing." This next is shit. <laughs> so he, um, Robert Rushmore, pickets the sale. Uh, of the auction and he shows up at the end and by this point I think I think it's pretty clear from the footage that Rauschenberg is pretty drunk at this point <laughs> but he sees Robert Skull being like masked by the media they're all taking pictures of him oh you're a millionaire now how does it feel and he's like well I guess that's how it goes Rauschenberg like barges in and has like a really tense chat and you can tell Skull is like oh Christ Rauschenberg's here Rauschenberg's like, hey, like he's like majorly cut here at I this point. This. He's had like the Oliver Reed of the least. art world. And he goes up to him and Skull tries to worm out. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, well, let's go, Ethel. That's his wife. And as he's leaving, Rauschenberg's like, I'm missing my chance. And he just like shoves him in the shoulder. Like, like boom. And you know when you are annoyed with me, Caro, and you push me, but it's like 5% harder than it was a joke push. So it's like... All right, this must be a lecture about art, not a revelation of my abusive tendencies as a partner. Everyone Gav. knows what a 5% too much of a push is, where you're like, I could push you, but it's just, just letting you know I meant that. Well, Rauschenberg like, does like a teeth. 10% push, and Skull's like, oh, fuck. And then everyone you can tell knows what's going on. And he's like... Give me a physical breakdown of Skull's... Dis- like, is he like a weed? Is he like a big, fat art critic guy? He's like a beardy sort of... F- Grey flex in his beard, brushed hair back, green blazer. I'd say he's just like on... Gary Oldman. Would Gary Oldman play him? Yeah, but like a hairy Gary, hairy Robert De Niro, okay. haggard hairy yeah. Robert De Niro. Okay. Like just on this side of handsome. 
You know what mm, I mean? Right, Not okay. quite. You couldn't say it, but you know, he's fine. Ethel, what were you doing? Yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. Anyway, Rauschenberg shoves him. And then everyone's like, oh, Christ. And he's like, Rauschenberg says, you didn't even buy me flowers. And Skull's like, buy, buy you flowers? What? Did somebody die? And he's like, uh, let's go, Ethel. And he's like, you buy the next one at these prices. You bought, you, you didn't even pay anything for these. And he's like, well, you know, I work for you. You work for me. We work for each other. And it's really oh, wow. so awkward. And the cameramen are like, what's going to happen? Is he going to deck him? Is this like WWF? But it didn't exist at that point. <laughs> Slam him through a table. And then he goes, you buy the next one. And he goes, well, I'll come and take a look at it. Uh, and they'll, they'll stop the cold, stop the cold. And then he hugs him. Rauschenberg's like, okay. And then they hug it out. And then it's like, oh, so awkward. Why is this not film? I'm intrigued. I'm like, and then, it dis- then it dissipates. And then that's the end. And then nothing. Obviously, the end of the story isn't that he pays all the artists royalties and everyone lives happily ever after. It's yeah. Skull gets away with it. And the art market is never the same. I'm so wow. annoyed with the story. Mostly because there was an opportunity. He says, "Oh, has somebody died?" And Rauschenberg could have said, "No, but somebody got fucked." <laughs> yeah, and he didn't say that. Yeah, or like the art world died. is at your feet. Yeah, <laughs> the art world is dead. Yeah, so many you killed comebacks. the art world. Yeah. So what's the fallout? So the fallout is that this happens in 1973. After that, loads of things. That was a result of loads of things. Artists were like, "Okay, we need to get our cut now." So they started charging higher prices at the start. Mm. Other people started looking at the show like, oh my God, you can make a ton of money with art. So the conversation turned from what does this painting mean to how much does this painting cost? Right. And then it became a whole thing. And this is before the 80s. Then the 80s happened. The 80s. You know, it's like <laughs> not a decade known for its restraint. And then prices just went insane. Right. So people would buy a Picasso. And at that point, art just went from being something that's about aesthetics to just an investment. And like, you know, the CEO of like Citibank would buy a Picasso for 5 million. Mm. This, I mean, this actually happened. He bought a Picasso for 6 million in 19, 1981, sat on it for eight years and sold it for 48 million Whoa. in 1989. Right. So at that point, it just becomes like that's the, the start of the story. And that's the, that's the discussion about art we have now, which is the start of the story, the middle of the story and the end of the story is how much does it cost? That, that's 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 how people know about art mm. and that's why you get like people at the sun in the early 90s being like it's an unmade bed i'm not paying five million pounds for an unmade bed mm, it's a yeah. shark in a tank why am i paying and, you know and that's why critics who have lived long enough to see this before the prices went crazy are just up in arms like yeah the art market and the prices in the art market are the big shock factor of the last 50 years it's difficult as well isn't it because if you're starting out as an artist and you're creating something which is you know you think is really good or whatever you still can't charge you know 50 grand for your painting until you're Mm. like a bit famous then there's still someone who's going to profit off of you selling something for 200 pounds it's it's like trend forecasting it's you know what i mean like everyone's i mean you're all in this room we've all been in the creative industry in different senses you kind of you feel the temptation to go with what's hot in six months to get the uplift and you want to catch the jet stream of fame and be like, yeah. well, I'm on the thing now. You know what I mean? You want to do that. So it becomes much more about like guessing the next thing yeah. rather than art, which is what it's supposed to be about, quote unquote, which is judging what you are versus the world and how to make something out of that. And also art, again, big conversation, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, what we're talking about here are art objects. Like no yeah. one's buying performance art. You can't mm, buy. Yeah, it. yeah. There's like no performance artists make money really. Marina Abramovich, but that's off her fame as opposed to her actual works. You can't yeah. really buy someone staring at you. 
Yeah. Maybe I always read about artists in ES magazine like every week and it was the art issue last week I think because of Freeze and mm. Marina Abram- Abramovich was on the cover. And that's what that's what um I have no I feel like I can't even scratch the surface of art because what intrigues me is who decides if the person is cool and worth millions. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I know that people people always say this and the, there is a comeback to it. Like when people go to the Tate and they go, I could have done that and My the kid comeback is, done that. but he didn't. Yeah. Right? But then who decides, like, if I'd done the exact same thing as Anish Kapoor or... Mm. Anish Kapoor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or Damien Hurst or whatever. Let's say I'd done it before them. Mine wouldn't sell Mm. for a million pounds. Yeah. So it makes you think, like, how do you create that buzz of, like, this cow in formaldehyde is worth trillions of pounds? Well, it has to have, like, a patina... You know, not the actual physical thing. Like, it has to have a kind of an aura or a glow around it as a thing. Je ne sais quoi. Like, if you were to, like... John Burger did an amazing thing on this. He's like, if you were to, if you were to find out this was this is just a champagne flute, I yeah. guess from IKEA. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> if you were to find out that's like the last champagne flute that Diana held before she died, yeah. Suddenly that takes on a whole new thing, yeah. yeah. And and it was. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it takes on that kind of that aura, that sense of like, am I allowed to touch it? Should I touch it? And that's what that's what the money attempts to do. Yeah. Um it makes you feel like you can't judge it. Suddenly, yeah. it's so expensive. Yeah. Who the hell are you? Who are you, Mr. 24 grand a year, to yeah. say this thing yeah. is not worth something? It's like strikes you blind. Yeah. Bob, Robert Hughes, Australian art critic, was always like, these prices, they have a cultural function. Their function is to strike you blind. And it was right. always like, you'd always talk about the price of art just completely taken out of the realm of reality, which is what it's supposed to be for yeah what's interesting about that is like there's almost like a reciprocal thing so it's like the money attaches meaning to the art but the person spending the money then gets the glow of the art attached to yeah. them yeah, yeah. they're a person who understands and gets art mm. so do you think that's why maybe that the prices exploded in the 80s because it's this age of new money and people making a lot of money very quickly and they're like almost trying to like buy their way into a class by liking art plus it's not all bad like yeah. the idea that art should be the director of the metropolitan Museum of Art in New York in the 60s was all about like, breaking down barriers and why should going into an art gallery be any more aristocratic than going into a movie theatre? It's, it's all about just making it available to you. It shouldn't be treated like an academic subject. And like no one would argue with that. Um, but then it just it gets taken way too far and it just gets taken out of the realm of, of, of reality. Fine art should be treated as this one thing that gives you special experiences that you can't experience in any other way. And now... Where we go to for that is the movie industry, and no one now seriously is is uh, in fine art for for that reason, for for getting that kind of life experience, for getting that sort of special experience. We go to movies for that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting you said that because I went to an exhibition at the Barbican not too long ago, um, and it was a photography exhibition, and it was there were some really nice photos, and photos like quite accessible, right? You just kind of look mm. at them and you're like, oh, that's real life, but it looks really nice. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that's such a brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but like, but the captions that they've put underneath these photos were just absolutely unreadable. Yeah. You just could not understand what they were trying to say because they were referencing different artists and they were referencing different styles. And it just felt like, to me, as someone who I I enjoy art, but I don't know loads about it, and I certainly don't know loads about photography. Um, and as someone who just kind of like you know paid ten pounds or whatever to go to this exhibition, I was just like, this isn't for me. Yeah, like they yeah. don't want me to be I had that here on day because one of art I'm literally I, I can't understand this. Yeah, I had that on day one. I went to Chelsea. It was like everyone in just 
trying to ism each other off, like how many isms they could chuck into a comment. I was like, I didn't come here for this. And then people yeah. were like, what's wrong? Do you not want to talk about futurism versus modernism? It's like, I do, but I'd rather you left that out unless you had to use a shorthand. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I want to talk yeah. to you about what this means to me. And anyone who has that feeling, the pill you want to take is John Berger. He just rips all that away and it's just... Oh my God, Ways of Seeing is like, you can available on YouTube if you want to watch it. Oh my God, it's amazing. There's like clips of him showing art to kids and they just, they're in a school class and they like just critique it amongst themselves. And me and Caroline watched this, what was it, a couple of weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And like, I secretly had a, like a little cry. Uh, oh, not, not secretly guys, public. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's one bit where the kids are just talking about uh, this painting by Caravaggio and then just like being like, oh, it looks like, what are they saying? Like, Say, oh, is it a boy or a girl? I don't know. I can't it's, really tell it's a boy it's, or a girl. It's a, it's a picture of Jesus having an argument with um, two of the apostles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and any, any, like, any adult would know that because they would see all the references immediately. Sure, yeah. But yeah. the but the kids are like, it's got long hair. He's like, oh, is it a boy or a girl? I don't know. He's having a fight? I don't know. Yeah, and he starts talking about the basket of fruit. Like, I don't really like grapes, but he's put grapes in there. You know, stuff like that. And just, like, they, they make it, the point being that they make it about their own life. Yeah. They make it relevant to themselves. It's not like an academic thing where you have to look at it and you know the painting's called like the supper at Emmaus and you have to know what Emmaus is you know you know what I mean it's that they just think like yeah. oh does this mean something to me but what's, yeah. what's actually great about that specific moment in the documentary is that the the kids are looking at it and they're debating over what the gender is of, of Jesus and, and to us that seems really silly because we're used to seeing pictures of mm. Jesus with long brown tumbling hair Chad right Kroger, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chad Kroger <laughs> Chad Kroger Chad Kroger <laughs> He's always a clean living Chad Kroger, isn't he? And, um, but um, what what they end up actually revealing is that like Caravaggio was gay, and actually there is a feminization of his male characters in a sense. And uh, they they end up revealing more than like any you know middle brow yeah. art student, yeah. whatever. And they got there on their own you know? just as a result of chit chatting in a class and curiosity and passion and you know mm. yeah. And the reason I got upset looking at it is because I hadn't seen it for ten years, and I went back to when I was at school, and I realised that that is how you talk about art. Yeah. That is how you talk about art. And I think and that's what makes what alienates a lot of people because they're like, oh, there's a specific way you're supposed to talk about art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, and that's what comes back to the, this is all about the money thing because you feel like you can't talk about it because it's, I mean, what's that painting that went for of Jesus, like 350 million pounds? For what? For, I know it's, it's a Leonardo painting, but like, for what? Yeah. Something you go see the Mona Lisa and you realise like you could put that in a tote bag and walk out because it's not very big you're like I, I, <laughs> I queued up for this you know when you were talking about the, the size glow. of an iPad yeah you know when you were talking about the glow and the sort of aura, nostalgia yeah. the aura yeah of an object when I went to see the Mona Lisa in the Louvre I thought it was going to be I thought it was going to have that I thought it was going to feel something not necessarily about the subject of the painting but just like the the aura of the painting mm. and it was it was so anticlimactic and so disappointing because it was like 20 tourists taking a photo of it and it was in this it felt no yeah it kind of feels plain doesn't it like obviously it doesn't kind of look plain because you're like oh it's the mona lisa but actually Mm. if you yeah if you were just looking at it on its own devoid from any kind of like context yeah you'd still be like it's a good painting but the thing is, if the Mona Lisa was hanging in the National Portrait Gallery alongside all those other portraits of people you've never heard of, by artists you've never heard of, you'd just walk right past it, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, you would. Because the National Portrait Gallery is full of amazing... That's the best gallery in the country, I think. Like, because it's just got... The, you know, when you look at pictures of people, that there is something that stirs within you, like, oh, wow, that... It totally that, does, doesn't that it? Yeah. yeah. Whereas, like, big landscapes and stuff, I don't really... I'm just like it's hard. It's, it's hard to lock in. Some yeah. of those, like, yeah. I mean, you got to remember though, like when a lot of those landscapes were done two, three hundred years ago, that people would have seen what. First of all, you have to be quite rich to see the paintings, and second of all, yeah. people would see what like 
50 images in their whole life. Yeah, that's true. Like they wouldn't see a picture for two months and then they'd see that and then they would sit in front of it and they'd talk about it and all the paintings meant something and the fact that there was a dog in the background and the sun was coming up. Was it the morning or is it evening? That changes the meaning of it. It's like, it's a whole book in a thing. And so, but we've now lost that because we don't need it. You know, we've got, you know, people start talking about like, if Michelangelo was around now, he would think of the things he would paint. It's like, no, he wouldn't. He'd be in Hollywood doing an awesome <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. Like, that's the, yeah. that's the painting of He'd be in Silicon Valley time. or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, That's the painting of now. That, that, you know, painting isn't the art of our time at all. Like, no one's talking about painting. Yeah. And so the Mona Lisa actually is a funny, there's a funny one because that, you know, you could argue that started the whole thing before. The reason Skull got into the collecting it is because the, the Mona Lisa visited New York in 1963. The Louvre sent it off. And it was part of this whole like publicity wave to boost New York's cultural right. centre. The, Ken- the Kennedys wanted to do it. Mm. And they put the Mona Lisa on a bed. They strapped her to a bed and, <laughs> and, and, and put it on a liner and sent her across the sea and they guarded it and it was an air-conditioned wow. plush suite and it was the painting was on a bed and then it got... This big crate was put out and the press were all there in, in, the, in Manhattan and on uh, Hudson Bay. And it was this massive publicity thing. And then for one month it was on, on show in the Met. And uh, that was the first ever like blockbuster show in America. And like, apparently a million people saw it in a month. And they all shuffled past. And th- it was like a queen lying in state. You know what I mean? Everyone's mm. like quiet and it shuffles past and everyone wants to get their pictures and stuff like that. And it was like five, six people deep. They would just shuffle past and they'd be like shoved through. And the queues were like down, just up to the avenue, um, out the door. And then that began a whole like... Uh, wave. They put, they called it like a cultural extension of the arms race because the Kennedys wanted it to be seen like, oh, this is where it's happening. Yeah. This is yeah. where this is where the culture is happening. Not in Russia, nowhere, not in Europe, the US. This is where it's going down. And then that started a whole public interest in art when pop art came in and post-war aspiration and everyone was involved in the media and like yeah. democratizing of art. Skull took that and fucked us in seventy three. Well, wow. he just did the American thing, didn't he? Yeah. Like yeah. sold it all. He had like, the power. He had money. any problems? Yeah. yeah. He did. Yeah. Exactly. That's what America, I feel like that's America's thing. I feel like America is of the art world what Victoria Beckham is to fashion. Like, <laughs> I am fashion. I am fashion. I am fashion. Please, I am part of the establishment. Oh, you're not quite. Like, yeah, we'll let you in. I love her, but like, it's just, and America's never going to be what you think. Oh, culture. Is there a situation for the world for which there is not a Beckham? Uh, no. Because <laughs> I was actually going to use them as like, you know, they're very. Um, upwardly mobile family and that they both kind of come from like I know Victoria Beckham wasn't like really poor or anything but like they both kind of working lower middle class people that like now they're into like they like f- want to be friends with all these, all these artists and she makes artists do installations in her shop and it's like that thing of like didn't Brooklyn Beckham photograph Sophie Turner yeah for like yeah. V magazine yeah exactly that. and he does like you know they you know they collaborate with artists and stuff like that because it's like that's the sign of being cool. Yeah, it's like true. Kanye They're West legitimizing themselves yeah. with art. Yeah, with art, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's 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 that's the thing though. It's like talking about the movie industry. You could argue that going to fine art is arguably the last place where it's supposed to be a direct communication between what I think, or what the artist thinks and feels, and you. You can go to someone and say, "I want that painting," and you haven't got to go through the Hollywood system you've not got to go through a producer it's just that I did a thing and I'm selling the thing that's Mm. in its pure form that's what it should be Mm. Um, but in order to actually make a living and exist Mm. in the world you just can't do that you have to get the art dealers involved and then it becomes like a trend forecasting thing and you know a dot on a piece of paper like I said because the pattern of thing can suddenly take on a whole new meaning when really it's just a dot on a piece of paper and people punk this all the time people like fake it and 
you know, uh, do fake artworks and things like that. And it's like, ah, oh, you see what we're doing? And no one gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We mentioned um, Banksy in the introduction. Like, what do you think of it? Obviously, I'm sure everyone has heard. Yeah. But recently, um, a painting of his was sold at Sotheby's. Or maybe was it even a painting? Like a drawing, a print? I'm not sure what it was. I think I think he actually did the, that spray. Because you, you can make prints of stuff, but I think he actually did the spray paint. It was actually, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was a shredder in the bottom of the frame. And as soon as it was sold, as soon as the hammer went down, the painting fell through the shredder and actually got jammed halfway. Apparently it wasn't, it was meant to shred the whole thing. Oh, did it? Yeah, I didn't apparently. Know that. Um, but what, yeah, what, what do you make of that? I don't buy that it was meant to, st- to go all the way through. Like, because like, oh. I think it was still, because it, sta- oh. it stays as an intact object. If it's half done, First of all, as if Sotheby's didn't know. You know what I mean? Like, oh, here's a oh, frame. Yeah. I've never used a period frame before, but I'm going to use it. And it's very heavy, but don't look inside or scan yeah. it. Oh. You know what I mean? And they could get in a lot of trouble, actually, because of that, because they could be seen as fixing the prices because mm. it was an event and a, and a stunt. But the Banksy thing is like an extension of what Starchy was doing, like we were saying, because it becomes about the publicity and the stuntiness of it and the memeableness of it. And people now want to just talk about the meme. Oh, that's the shredded thing. Like, imagine having a non-shredded Banksy that looks like that. You're like, oh, I just I got done there. Yeah. I should have bought it. Should have waited two months. Yeah. So you don't think that it's like a worthwhile commentary on art dealership at all? Do you think it's totally cynical? Yes. When it comes to when it comes to him now, like he's lost. You could say he's doing this as like a long-term performance art piece or whatnot, and business is the best art and blah blah blah. But like. If you're going to, I mean, Will Gompertz of the BBC said this was the biggest moment in art since Duchamp's urinal, like, which happened like a hundred years ago. I read that. I mean, you saw me reading it. I was like, Mm. close the laptop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess, you know, it is a stunt and I get that, but I wouldn't say it's the biggest moment in art. Yeah. I don't know. He's kind of playing off that kind of like bad boy, like, oh, I don't play by the rules. I'm going to shred my own thing. But also the price is going to triple I'm going to profit off that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Banksy, you know I'm a rascal. It is. It's I'll like, rascal you out of your money. It is. It's like the guy walking around, the, you know, 55-year-old guy walking around with his Rage Against the Machine hoodie on. It's like, mate, come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. And also the painting itself, like, no one's talking about the face. It's just a girl with a balloon. Like, yeah, it, it's like, yeah. it's, it's the one it's, that, like, you'll find in Camden Market on T-shirts. Yeah. I, I did have that T-shirt, wow. yeah, like, 10 years ago. But then again, like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really like it as a piece of graffiti, but now I'm forced to have, like, a strong opinion about it yeah. because, it's like, you know what I mean? It, it makes mm. you insane. I just, I'd, otherwise, I'd see that on a street corner. I'd be like, oh, someone did that. Fine. But now I have to be like, you hear all this like noise and you have to sort of go mindfulness on everyone and be like, I will shut it out and just go to a gallery. <laughs> yeah. And like, so like talking about Robert Hughes again, like he was, what is he's dead now? He's been dead like five years, but he was probably the last generation of people that like he says himself that could go to a museum and not even think about how much it costs once, like at all. It's like impossible to go to a museum now without even for a bit thinking that's a lot of money or yeah. that's special. You know what I mean? You go to a, any graduate show, you don't think it's that special, but suddenly yeah. if you hang that on the wall of the Tate Modern, you're like, oh my God, wow, someone sees something in that. I don't yeah, know it. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. You, just don't, you don't give a shit. Like, you know, if I went away and spent 10 grand on a painting and came home, you, you'd like... Leave you. <laughs> you'd leave yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> I left, I left, you left open. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. And so you just have to, you have to just like, it's a Herculean effort to make up your own mind. And these prices just come there to just like boot you out and say, you don't matter. It's just the market thing. But now you could argue this is just that the last cries of an irrelevant art form, just trying to get what it can before it goes out. And then everyone's just going to say, fuck this. Do you yeah. think that's what's going to happen then? What What do you think is the future of, of the art world? Well, how Huge the hell? So, say, so like, In so, two minutes. <laughs> so taking like the, taking like that painting that's been sold 
the the new Leonardo that was found. That got sold for three hundred and fifty million pounds. It's been loaned to the Abu Dhabi Louvre. They've made a Louvre in Abu oh, Dhabi now. F- yeah. No one knows who bought it. It's supposed to be, I think it's an Arab buyer, secret Arab buyer. It's like, how is that going to make a profit? Everyone's yeah. like, how? What? It's not even a good painting. <laughs> I mentioned Chad Kroger earlier on because look, it looks like a really crappy Chad Kroger, a no-neck Chad Kroger, if you look at it. There's one good bit in it, the hand, if you see it, like the right hand is pretty decent. But it looks like he's holding like a weird like wine gum. If you check it out, it's like a weird unflavoured wine gum and he's just sort of, <laughs> don't even have a background in the painting. It's not very good, it's rubbish. <laughs> Oh, but that's what's wrong with everything. It's just like, oh, yeah, okay, someone in Dubai with no fucking taste has just spent a shitload of money on it for the sake of money and taken all the fucking pathos out of it. I just don't understand how anyone can just expect it. There's artprice.com. I think literally it's called artprice.com where you can check the provenance of something and, you know, over time it gains value. But, man, surely this is like a really long, what do you call it, tulip mania or whatever. It's just another one of them. Tulip mania? You never heard of Tulip Mania? What's that's no, it that's surely great, a whole other episode. No, I've heard of that. That's uh, I've read a book called Tulip Fever, which had it in. But basically, it was about when the Danes got obsessed with tulips. Was it yeah. the Danes? Yeah, it's like it's like inflated market prices way beyond the value of the thing. Oh wow! And everyone just agrees that yeah. this thing is worth a lot of money until everyone wakes up one day and goes, "What the fuck are we doing?" <laughs> it's like the king has no clothes. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We have all the tulips. The king has no clothes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the 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 Dutch went mental and just bought loads of tulips for like five years and then the, the, pri- the prices went sky high and then it's not even like orchids which are like difficult to keep like tulips go anywhere yeah fuck tulips you know <laughs> basic flower I think it was yeah this is the 1700s I think they were just very bored yeah, <laughs> yeah <that's true. laughs> very boring time so uh, Gavin I'll see you at home this has been a <laughs> wonderful talk on, on the nature of art and, uh, and commerce but to wrap up I think we should all go around the table let's talk about our favourite painting okay Hannah what's yours What's the one thing that you'd be like, oh, I'd love that in my loo? Uh, what paintings do I like? I think I'd like just one of those massive, massive old portraits of like a person on a horse. It's the most you answer ever. <laughs> it is the most you answer it would be ever. That, it would be that Queen Victoria picture of her when she was young from yes. the MPG. Yeah. Because it looks like you. Yeah. And exactly. I believe it's also your WhatsApp photo. With a nice, <laughs> nice shiny horse. Good. Alex. Um... I do, li- I do like Tracy Emin of the Modern Artists and I like her neon sign that says it's different when you are in love. So Aww. I'd have that on my That's very good. Great answer, Gavin. Yeah. Uh, there's that really famous one by Francis Bacon where it's like three bodies at the base of a crucifixion. That makes me a real basic for saying that, but like it's in the Tate Britain and I went there when I was having like a really low point in my life and it scared me and I've never seen it since Francis then. Francis Bacon Ooh. does scare I like me. Oh, yeah, that, that painting... I mean, everyone knows it. It's not like a secret. Yeah, you, you, took us, you took me to see that on one of our early dates. Oh, did I? Aww. Yeah. Oh, right. Also, don't say you're basic because that just falls into the trap of like, oh, I can't like it. No, my point being that it's this not special. It's not like a special thing. Everyone says it, but that in particular, I remember seeing that and having like, you know, when a submarine goes too deep and you hear it in the movies, you always hear it yeah. going creaking like, yeah. the whole thing you hear being crushed. Oh, I like felt like that when I saw it and I had to leave. Oh. I was I was like 23 having a really low point in my life and I felt oh. that and I walked away and had like an anxiety attack on the steps of the Tate Britain. I was like, that's good painting. <laughs> <laughs> that's good painting. I like huffed that painting from out of a brown bag yeah. <laughs> like with a paint can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and see good that in painting. person. It's like a really dark room and they look really scary. Ooh, wow. Caroline? I really like, this is a basic answer, I really like that one. That's like uh, it's a picture of a pipe, and it says "C'est du pain pipe." I just think it's. I just. I don't know that. It's about what my Magritte, side. Of the Magritte, I think. I think it's. I think, I yeah, it's Magritte. I think it's Magritte. It is Magritte, and it's basically like a he's picture... the guy that did like the painting of like an apple, and it was called like 
the horse. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's just, he's very Twitter, you know what I mean? Uh, he he's is. very funny. He is, he's so online. <laughs> yeah, he's so online. He's the very... guy's smoking a pipe. No, no, it's literally a picture of a pipe and then in French underneath it says, this is not a pipe. Okay, right, I've got it. And it's very much like, it's, it's the picture like, of a pipe, it's not a real thing. In fact, I think his, I think his paintings might have made it onto like HMV posters. You know what I mean? Oh, like he was one I was of those thinking guys. like a pipe, like a like a metal pipe. No, that's smoking why I like pipe. A smoking pipe. Yeah. That's why yeah. I was smoking confused. Pipe. Yeah. yeah, he's like he did like he was the inspiration for the Pink Floyd album. Ah, cover. right. Lots yeah. of like weird clouds and a man looking in a mirror, but when you see the reflection, it's the back of his head. Ooh. That sort of thing. I don't like that so much. All right, fine. I okay. like the pipe though. <laughs> We're not having it in our house. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have that in the loo. Uh, There's a picture hook as well that's empty so uh, we'll leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> thank you ladies <laughs> thank you Gavin, Gavin thank you so much for coming in thank you and please um, use his real name Gavin Day Gavin Day Gavin Day where can people find out more about you on your on your Twitter account that you never use you can find me on my very limited edition Twitter account at underscore Gavin Day ah. and on Instagram yeah Instagram which by the time this airs will be absolutely awash with new content so I would definitely go to my Instagram yes underscore Gavin Day Gavin Day. Mm. Clean, I like it. Mm. Like me. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. We'll be back on Tuesday with a whole new show, but until then, we would like to thank Harry Harris for our jingles, Gavin Day for our artwork and art knowledge today, and Soho Radio Studios for the recording space. Oh, can you tell us, just for just as an Easter egg, for the um, very long time listeners, when we started the podcast, we had a whole joke about you and talcum powder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Please, can you tell us where you're at with your talcum powder usage? I haven't used talc in about 18 months. And that's, oh. I swear that's true. Why? Uh, I just grew out of it and I realised... I think physically I grew out of it as well. <laughs> too it's like a paste. I've not got a nappy on. No, and it... Uh, I don't know. I think I read too many articles. There was all those, those articles about, oh, it's carcinogenic and blah, blah, blah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's only for women. But then I thought, do I need this? What if, if it goes... Do you need like what, carcinogenic powder near your dick hole? What if it goes... Yeah. What if it goes near any of my holes? I don't want to, don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And also like, you know, the life I lead, someone can want to have sex with me at any minute. And if I'm covered, <laughs> if I'm covered in talc, that? that can't happen. <laughs> yeah, so it's like... See, ladies, you can change a man. I, I slowly, <laughs> the talc habits. I slowly grow out of throwing chalk on my balls <laughs> well thank you very much for enlightening us you're very welcome that's his uh, public exclusive there we go <laughs>